the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Or Salem Media Group. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Welcome back. And by the way, you can also go to my website to sign up for the upcoming seminar. And we're going to be talking about the quickest path to recovery without increasing your risk. So stock portfolios have, are down a little bit. Uh, they were down quite a bit more about a week ago. And it's been making a lot of people really nervous. I've been having a lot of phone calls with people who are you know, it's upset. Every time the market, incidentally, drops by more than 10%, people start to get a little worried. If you measure from the top to the bottom, the market was a little over 20%, which has been the kind of the standard definition of a, of a bear market. But I don't think anything is kind of standard anymore. Things change over time. And since then, it's up about 6% or so. So it's still down quite a bit, but nowhere near as much as it has been. And there are things that you can do to help yourself recover more quickly without increasing your risk. And so that's going to be the topic. What kinds of things are those? In fact, there is a, uh, I, I love the industry. I mean, it's constantly changing, which is good for people like me who like to try to keep up with things and like, uh, you know, I kind of like change. I guess I'm kind of strange that way. A lot of people don't, but uh, if it's going to be for the better, that's, let me preface that by saying, if it's going to be for the better, I like the change. And there's a, a new exchange-traded fund. There are actually, sometimes there are several that come out in one day. Uh, it's been the fastest-growing segment of my industry now for about seven years, maybe even longer. And every day, something is happening in that space. They're creating something, and, and occasionally, it's a really good idea. <clears throat> I think that the idea that just came out from Russell is an index created of uh, funds whose dividends have actually gone up over a period of time. I think the minimum is five years. But they're adding to it some other quality factors, which none of the other dividend funds that I've seen have done. And I really like the idea. So I've got a white paper, and I'm going to uh, be sending that to anybody that wants a copy of it. You know, if you hear it's not on my website anywhere, by the way. I, did not, I just read this. I, I didn't publish this yet. So if you want a copy of it, just email me, bill at bullingtoncapital.com. I'll see if I can forward it to you. I have to get permission from Russell, by the way. I just read it, so I don't know how easy or how difficult that might be. But if they don't want me to, to release it, then I'll just 
summarize it in my own words and shoot you out that email. <laughs> How's that? So this is what it is. Where they're taking stocks who have raised their dividends by a certain amount. There's some quality factors in there that uh, we'll talk about at a later show. That is going to get really detailed. Uh, and they're also equally weighting it, which is one of my favorite things to do is to equal weight a portfolio rather than market cap weight. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. We'll be talking about that a little bit at that workshop. What's the difference between market cap weighting and equal weighting? Uh, what are the dangers that you get through market cap weighting? It literally creates a problem at some point in time. And we'll talk about what that problem is, what you can do about it. Because recovering from a correction is the key to um, maintaining your wealth, particularly uh, one of the keys. I shouldn't say the key. It's one of the keys to maintain your wealth, particularly when you are withdrawing from your accounts. When you're supplementing your income with the investment accounts that you have, you can't afford for a portfolio to go down and stay down for five or 10 years the way a market cap weighted index will do from time to time. That is the last thing you can afford to do. As I don't care what the long-term track record is either. And this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. In fact, I'm working on a course now. I've been working on it for a long time. In fact, I'm meeting with the uh, intern, Mike Seeger, the kid that goes to Case. We're meeting right after today's show to talk about what we're going to do next. A lot harder than I thought it was. <laughs> you know, there's always more than you think there is. <laughs> Anytime you start a new business, things pop up. If you've never started a business, you probably don't have that experience. But if you've ever had a, a if you ever had a girlfriend when you're in eighth grade, I'm just kidding. Yeah, she's always changing her mind. <laughs> but this is what kind of what happens when you are uh, starting a new business. You get into it and you find out that you know, there's actually a lot more to it than you thought there was going to be. But it's okay. You just work your way through it. Depends on what you want to do. And uh, um, anyway, long story short, I just I do this all the time. I go talking and I get off track and, and uh, I got to bring myself back in. So I'm going to pull myself back in right now and kind of finish what we were talking about a little bit uh, to start the show off with how do you recover quicker from a correction? There are some things that you can do. There are certain types of portfolios that if you give them a long enough time period, they do very well. They'll be beaten by a market cap weighted index sometimes for four or five years in a row. But eventually that, that, that flaw that I feel like is built into a market cap weighted index, like the S&P 500 or like the Russell 1000. Um, I like those companies a lot. I don't like the idea of market cap weighting. I think for the average investor, it's not a good idea. And for the older investor, that is an impossible thing to want to do. Unless you are incredibly wealthy. If you don't have to take out more than 3% a year, fine. Do the market cap weighted index. Dividend yields on a lot of those things are right around 2% or so. So you're only taking 1% out from the principal. But you know what? If you're only going to take out 3% a year and you have a million dollars, that's only $2,500 a month before taxes. Think about that for a second. Let me say that again really slowly. If you're going to stick to 3%, that's $30,000 on a million. That's going to be $2,500 a month. So you got a million dollars. You're taking out twenty five hundred a month, and you'll probably be paying taxes, you know, somewhere around three to four hundred dollars on that. Okay, that that's rough. So if you're going to, 
limit yourself to that, if you are able to limit yourself to taking out 3% from your investments each year, then, then by all means. You know, market cap weighted indexes are fine for you. You don't have to worry. You'll probably be able to uh, put a lot of your money in bonds now. There are bond funds that we'll be talking about at the workshop as well who have yields that are over 3% right now. So that's great. If you're in that category, then you don't have to worry about the uh, whole, uh, in fact, the tax issue is not an issue much at all. And uh, you don't have to worry about the income that you're generating. You can buy on 3%. Woohoo! Most people probably have to go up somewhere between 4 and 5. And if you go up much past 5, you're taking a lot of risk, especially today. There are conditions that exist today that didn't exist five or even 10 years ago, or 10 or even five years ago. The, uh, and if you're taking out more than somewhere between four and 5%, you know, that's a risk. That's a big risk. So you should be paying particularly close attention to the kind of risk the funds that you are investing in are taking. There's, there's two sides to the story when it comes to risk. There's the total return. That's one side of the story. When you're looking at risk, your more aggressive strategies, if they're legitimate, typically have higher long-term returns. They also have a lot more fluctuation, which is often described as risk. If I'm in an account and it fluctuates down 30%, that's a lot of risk. There's no mutual fund that's ever been around for more than 10 years that's had top decile returns in the top 10% that hasn't been down at least 30% in that time period. Think about that for a second. And uh, so you're getting a lot of risk for that return. Maybe you can get returns that they're going to be a couple percentage points lower than that, but they don't go down as far and they recover more quickly. That might be the type of fund that you're looking at investing in or should be looking at investing in when you're starting to take money out of it because it's not about the return. You have to be there to earn the return. And if you're spending all your principal because the investments drop too far and you're still taking money out, you're never going to see those returns. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but if it doesn't play that, play that back, go to my website, download this and play that back over and over and over again. Listen to that. This is important. This is really important. In fact, uh, sooner or later, one of these days, I'll have this out on a video so that you can play the video backwards and forwards again. Yeah, because there are certain things I've been talking about for years, and it's hard. I get it. It's hard. You're in your car. You're listening to a radio program, or maybe you're pulling this up on Apple iTunes. I don't know. Downloading it from my website, and you're listening, and it kind of makes sense, but as the minute you turn it off, you forget because it's like that. <laughs> and that's what it's like. It's like that. Yeah. So I really feel like at some point in time, I will get this up at a video in a video so that you can see the voice, uh, see the voice, see the face, look at the facial expressions. You can run it back. You can rewind it. Keep going over that until you get it. I'm going to be drawing on this, this thing. It's called the light board. So you can see the drawing at the same time. And it's, a, uh, it's kind of a big deal. The recovery periods, how quickly do you recover? That's a really big deal. And, and I can tell you this, as many times as I've talked about this on the radio, 
people just, they still don't get it. They just don't get it. And here's what they're not getting. The, the rate of return is not the single most important thing. It's how much risk you took to get the rate of return. That's the single most important thing because the highest returning things, I mean, look at Netflix, that stock has trounced the S&P 500. I mean, trounced it, but there's a tremendous amount of risk there. And that stock, if you were pulling money out of it, I mean, it was at 420 bucks last June. It's at 338 now. That's a big jump. And by the way, got down to 230. But if you look at the long-term, well, look at the long-term returns. Okay, let's look at the long-term returns. They're, they're awesome. And the stock's been down 60% three times in the last 10 years. Woohoo! Yeah, see, this is what I'm talking about. It's one of the best-performing stocks of all time. Amazon, one of the best-performing stocks of all time. It was down 95%. Nine, so if you had a million dollars... In Amazon in 1999, some point in time around 2000, it was worth 50,000 bucks. Think about that. And then I have people say, yeah, but look at it now. Okay, well, let me tell you something. If you had a million dollars in Amazon and you're pulling out $30,000 a year, which is only 3%, and it goes down to 50000 <laughs> you just spent two-thirds of it when you took your 30000 out when it was at its bottom. You never made the return. That's my point. Okay. You got to look at the risk. You have to look at the risk. Return is only half of the equation. And if you're not looking at it, and by the way, very few people are looking at this. The big institutions, are they've come around and they, in their infinite wisdom, decided to call it an upside-downside ratio. Oh, that's really clear. Thanks, guys. You just cleared that all up for me. <laughs> Just, I guess I woke up on the right, wrong side of the bed this morning. <laughs> but the uh, you were trying to help. I get it. You know that's nice, but we don't really need the extra language there. We've got enough. If you look at the the dic- dictionary of financial and accounting terms. It's several pages thick. I mean, several pages, several inches thick. So we don't need any more uh, terms. Uh, try to use what we have. <laughs> In other words. Yeah, they're looking at how far a fund goes down and how much of the upside it captures and trying to, you know, they're basically trying to assess how much risk the funds are taking. And we'll be talking about that at that seminar because it's, it's important. It's not just a return. And that's one of the reasons that the Dalbar studies are so low for the average investor. The average investor doesn't do very well in the stock market. Why? Because the average investor is focusing on one key component and they're forgetting the other one. They're forgetting all about it. You got to bring that in. You have to understand, you know, Procter & Gamble is going to fluctuate a lot because it's a stock, but it's not going to fluctuate like Netflix. Those are two entirely different. <laughs> they're different. The risk is different. The financial risk is significantly different. And, uh, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, if you wanted to call in today, the number is 216-901-0945. Number is 216-901-0945. You can reach me in my office um, just by going to my website or calling us there, 3307. I started to give out my uh, cell phone number. That's pretty funny. 
330-664-0700, or go to my website, bullingtoncapital.com. That's also where you can sign up for the uh, upcoming seminar. And that seminar, by the way, is, uh, I've told you about it, but I, I don't think I gave you the date. It's Thursday, February 21st. So coming up about a month away, Thursday, February 21st at 6.30. And do I have time to take the call or do we need to go to a uh, commercial? Okay, we got about two minutes. So I'll, I'll try to take the call. And is, is this Uncle Phil or is this Phil? Just Phil. Okay. Well, hey, uh, Bill, regarding your comments on equal weighting versus market cap weighting. Sure. Uh, according to a graph I just looked at, uh, Market cap weighting has consistently beat equal cap weighting over the last 20 years. You got to go look at another graph, dude. Yeah, that, that graph is wrong. And market cap weighting has uh, outperformed equal weighting over the past few years, and it's not by a whole lot. Not by a whole lot. Well, I don't know what the... Well, why, I don't know what the... Why, okay. okay. Can I have you call back in? I have no idea why the sound is going like this. Oh, no. Uh, that, sound, that sounds a lot better, I think. Okay, so yeah, you'd, no, have, to, was, you'd have to go back. But, at a graph of, if you're looking at a graph, you may not be looking at a graph that's uh, reflecting the dividends reinvested because uh, I can tell you the, uh, the past 20 years, the past few years, the market cap weighting has outperformed the uh, equal weighting. But you go back uh, long enough, it, the equal weighting comes into favor. And I can tell you, that fools everybody. Because when the market's going up, especially in the last 10 years, okay, when the market's going up, most people throw their money, including institutions. They put their money into they put market. Their money into market. Okay, this, okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. The, uh, we, that call just got dropped. The, uh, that guy brings up an important point. You know, he said market cap weighting uh, has beaten... Uh, um, Equal weighting in, in over a really long time period. That's actually not true. Over short time periods, and that's like anything five years or under, market cap weighting can beat just about everything and will. In fact, if you look at the last five years, uh, it's you know, in the top four or five percent. That doesn't mean you should do that. And we'll talk about why that is that way right after these messages. It's already light and the stars ran away with the night. Things were said. And we're back. Hey, you know what? Actually, that call, I'm glad he called because there is a, um, uh, that point that he made. You know, if you look over the past five years, alluding back to what I started talking to a few minutes ago, the market cap weighted stuff does incredibly well and will outperform almost everything when the market's going up really fast. And that's what's happened over the last five or six years. It's actually outperformed a lot of the equal weighted stuff. But here's the deal. The market cap weighted will put more money into, say, Microsoft when it's $400 billion than it did when it was only $4 billion. Okay, now think about that for a second. Why would they wait until it gets to $400 billion to load up on it? Why wouldn't they put more money into it when it was only $4 billion or $40 billion when the big growth is happening? And that's my point. That's a fundamental flaw 
or not even a flaw. It's just a characteristic of that strategy that they're going to underweight companies when they're smaller and put more money into them when they're, when they're bigger. That's what market cap weighting does. And in the long run, that is going to cost you some money. In the short run, say over the past five years, you'd have been better off with the market cap weighted. Now, they see the trick is to know when those are going to switch, you have to have a crystal ball that works. You just don't know. And almost anything you've done over the past five years has lapsed or has gotten lapped by market cap weighted because it's the most popular. It's been the most popular. It's not because it's the right thing to do. I mean, think about that. When is the right thing to do the most popular thing to do? Almost never. It's almost never the right thing to do. And so when you look at the companies that make up the S&P 500 and you look at how much they're selling for how much they should normally sell for, by the way, that norm, that number, how much they should normally sell for, uh, there have been some, a lot of books published on that kind of stuff. Almost nobody is in total agreement, but we're going to talk about that at the seminar too. Like, How do you go in and look at the funds that you own? How do you know how much risk the funds you own are taking? That's a, that's kind of a big deal because the risk involved in an equally, or I'm sorry, in a market cap weighted index fund is pretty large. It's huge. It's a, it's an extremely aggressive way to invest. Let's wait until the companies get bigger and then we'll add more money to them. So in other words, let's add to them after they've already gone up. That's why when they correct, when they come down, they come down hard and they come down far. And it's affected just about everything now. And so almost everything uh, gets affected by those big company funds. But in the long run, doing the right thing typically pays off. But there are no guarantees. You're not allowed to guarantee anything, quite frankly. In fact, the uh, equally weighted, I'm just going to measure this. So if you look at where the peak prices were, and I'm going back to nine twenty September 24th, and you measure to the bottom during the day. These are not opening and closing prices. These are the high and lows of the day. It was actually down 21.6, which you would actually kind of expect because some of the stocks in the uh, S&P 500 are much, much, much smaller than some of the bigger ones. So you'd expect them to come down a little bit faster when the market is dropping like a rock, but it's not a whole lot. In fact, um, they're within three quarters of a percent of each other. <laughs> and uh, I'm not recommending, by the way, you run out and buy the equal weight. You know, that that's not what I'm recommending. I'm just saying if, if I were looking out over the next 10 or 20 years, I would probably want to use the equal weight over market cap weighted. And, uh, and I'm sorry to be boring everybody to death that it doesn't really know, care, or want to know <laughs> because it is kind of a bummer. Actually, I want to see one other thing before I leave this. So if I go from the bottom most recently to the most recent top, or let's just say we're at close on Friday. All right, close on Friday there, 13.72. Uh, so the S&P is up 13.72 from its bottom. And if I go from the bottom on the equal weight up to where it closed, it's 15.25. Now, that's a 2% difference in a week. That's the difference between the equal weight, the equal weights ahead. That's what I was saying. So are they're going to be close, by the way. They will be close, but it just makes more sense. And if you give it a really long time, like when I went back, I went back 20 years. 
And over a 20-year time period, there was like a uh, 12% difference in equal weighting versus market cap weighting. That's not a huge difference, right? But 12%, if you're 12% more money over 20 years, it is actually, it makes up a huge difference. Over a five-year time period, you do not know who's going to win. And that's what gets people. They get all excited. Hey, I know what I do. I'm going to go equal weight. And over the next five years, they'll lag the market by a little bit. And they go, hey, what's wrong? Actually, most people after six months are going, what's wrong? <laughs> six months is not a long time period, by the way. Six months is nothing uh, when it comes to stocks and stock prices. Yeah, and there are funds that they, they'll underperform for years. And then whatever it was that that, that caused you to buy it, if it were something like, let's like take a look at the uh, Russell mid-cap value uh, index. That thing will get pummeled in performance for three or four years in a row. And then those factors that they built, put in there, that typically coming right out of a big drop, is normally when that fund has a tendency to do really, really well, or that index rather. And what they're doing is they're uh, they're eliminating those stocks that are the most overvalued. When those most overvalued stocks are the stocks that are going up the fastest, they're going to underperform because they don't have crystal balls that work either. They don't know when people are going to get crazy and overpay for Netflix or Chipotle or Amazon. Or Google, all companies that I like a lot, I like the companies, but the math doesn't make sense. The numbers don't justify how much those share prices have moved. So when I look at other funds, if if the funds that I like are not underperforming during that time period, I got to think something's wrong with that fund. <laughs> and I know that that probably doesn't make sense to a lot of you because the vast majority of people have been sold a bill of goods that says, no, you can beat the market every day, every week, every month, every year. And that's just not true. It's not true. And if you try and do that, I mean, unless you're a, if you're a high frequency trading firm, you got a couple billion dollars and your mainframe sit right outside the New York stock exchange. Yeah. Those guys can beat it because they get the, they, that's cheating. Okay. And they're allowed to do that. They have special dispensation to do this thing called front running. And, uh, they're allowed. And it's the same thing that market makers used to do. They're just taking the same function that market makers used to take, but now they're doing it with computers and they're pretending like they're not doing. That's what's killing me. Uh, just, just admit it, guys. You know, we know what you're doing. <laughs> we know why you're doing it and it's not going to go away anytime soon. It's just a cost. One of the costs of doing business. And yes, it's cheaper than it was when you had market makers, humans standing there. So I get it and I get it. And I wish I were born into those families because <laughs> I would love to be doing that too. And, uh, but if you don't have that kind of money, if you don't have that kind of technology, if you don't have the connections that is necessary to be able to legally front run orders all day long, okay, then you're going to have to join the, you know, the rest of us <laughs> and the, uh, big institutions that kind of wish it wasn't that way that don't do that. You know, the, the ones that invest on behalf of the public. Now they they're uh they just have to grin and bear it too. There's some extra cost in there. It's there. It's not going away, and it's part of the cost of doing business. So anyway, kind of back to uh, uh, what I was talking about before. There are various factors that you can use that you can include in your uh, portfolios and in how you select the stocks that make a difference. 
And market cap weighting is incredibly popular. I doubt that the popularity is going away anytime real soon. Because you got a, a firm out there called BlackRock <laughs> that's got $6 trillion in assets now. You've got a firm out there called Vanguard. Most of their stuff is market cap weighted. And they're several trillion in assets. And then Fidelity joined the bandwagon with their market cap weighted indexing. So you've got probably 60% of the money that's doing that. That's a lot. That's a lot. And it will, the people that only think that the past track record is the most important thing, they'll be okay as long as they spread it out. They'll put up with more risk, more volatility for lower returns, but you know, they'll still be within one or 2% of what the others are doing. But they're going to go through some really rough periods where those performance, you know, the performance of that lags for an extremely long time period. Just like you look at March of 2000 when the S&P 500 peaked and 10 years later it was below that level. That's what happens. So it doesn't happen often. And maybe, you know, your life expectancy is so short that you're not worried about it. But it does happen. And uh, you know what? I, uh, I just had to... I just remembered something. Um, we've got a uh, uh, this workshop coming up. We're going to be talking about some of the models that, that we run for people at the Cleveland Clinic. These have, uh, we've really had a tough time uh, the past few months. Some changes came down through uh, uh, our software vendors uh, that have really affected our ability, but uh, we've got that up fixed. It's all good to go. We were doing it manually, which meant I wasn't going to talk about it because the, the calculations were enormous. And uh, that's really hard to do. <laughs> so we're back up and uh, got up to speed on that. We've got a, a good model. We'll be talking about it at that seminar as well. So if you belong to the Cleveland Clinic, you might want to just come and see that. You know what? Because uh, you could potentially do it on your own uh, if you want to spend the kind of time and energy it takes to do that. Um, or you can hire us. And I've got a guy by the name of Brad Loheiser. He's another adv- investment advisor. Uh, very adept. He works with us on this one. He helped us build these models. We also have, there's a, um, a investment only annuity. What is that? Well, an investment only annuity is kind of like your 401k plan, except you put money in it. You, you can use it as an IRA if you want to. You can fund your IRA with these. There are 374 funds from all the major companies around the, uh, well, all the ones that we like, Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price, you name it. The, uh, um, there's a, there's a ton of companies in there, 370 funds. When you invest in this, it's like a non-deductible IRA actually, except the non-deductible IRA, you're, you're limited to the amount that you can invest in that each year. With these, you can invest whatever you want. Uh, there are no charges for insurance. That's the difference between this and a normal annuity. There are no insurance charges. The Mortality and expense charge, which typically is about a point and a quarter to a point and a half on top of your other fees in a, in a variable annuity, is 20 bucks a month. That's it. This is the cheapest one on the planet. Okay. Least expensive, I should say. And you give all those, you got all those options. If you're getting close to that point where you have to start taking money out of your uh, uh, IRAs because you have required minimum distributions, you can take some of your taxable money invested in these things that will reduce your overall taxable income because inside of an annuity, it's tax deferred. This is not to be confused with the annuities, the 
indexed annuities out there that people you know are saying you can get stock market returns with no risk. First of all, that's not true. Uh, secondly, the, and I'm telling you, that is not true. You want to send your lawyers after me? Go ahead. The uh, I'm ready for you. Yeah, and and the people that you're talking that are doing that, they know better. I mean, the, the the companies know better. It's not the companies that are saying that stuff. It's actually the people that are selling the products. So I'm not a big fan of you guys, yeah, because I think you should tell it as it is and uh, let people decide what they want to do. So uh, these are not those products. In fact, uh, annuities are, man, there are so many, there are thousands of different types and thousands of contracts out there, and they have to read the language on each one of them. Each one of them. It, it kills me. Uh, but I've been doing it for a long time, so it doesn't take me nearly as long as it will somebody that's new. And if you have one of those products and you would like me to take a look at it to tell you what your options are, uh, because you may have options. There may be things that you can do. If you've got one that's really expensive, you might be able to get into one of these. We'll run an analysis for you and show you what the costs are, what the cost differential. They're huge. I, uh, uh, one of the things I really like about these are that you get access to the institutional products. So the fund that you buy, that you could buy directly from T. Rowe Price or Vanguard or Fidelity, you're buying as a retail investor. Your fees are higher than they are if you buy them inside this product because you get the institutional rate. You have to have at least a million dollars per fund to get that institutional rate. But if you invest in it this way, you don't. And there's no insurance. There's literally no insurance added to this product. It's an investment only. You're doing it for tax deferral purposes. If you're in a high tax bracket or if you just hate paying taxes, this is a really good product. You might want to take a look at it. And that's all I'm saying is you might want to take a look at it. We'll uh, uh, pull no punches. I'll show you everything there is. Yeah, you've got a, a annuity product out there that you have today. You'd like us to compare it to that and show you what the differences are we will and uh, being see, being a fiduciary means I am legally obligated to work in your best interests and if you're not dealing with an accredited fiduciary I would suggest you might want to do that because not only do you take a pledge but they take your fingerprints <laughs> seriously they take your fingerprints and they uh, and, and they watch you and you get audited and uh, you're supposed to be working solely for the benefit of your client. And if you're working as a fiduciary, you never want to do anything. I mean, because typically you're fee-based. So what happens is if the assets grow in, in value, you get a pay raise. If they go down, you get a pay cut. You should see how, you should see how my income fluctuates. It, it is mind boggling and you just grow used to it over time. But wow, I can't believe this segment's over already. Hey, you're listening to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. The answer will be back right after these messages. One million reasons why you shouldn't. And we're back. Hey, you're listening to Bill Willington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon on 1420. Uh, you can also pick up a copy of this at uh, iTunes uh, if you'd like to, the Bullington Capital Report. You can also go to my website, BullingtonCapital.com. And we do have the uh, upcoming workshop that we've been talking about quite a, a bit this morning. You know, one of the things I would uh, probably like to point out to people, too, um, when you compare your performance 
and you start looking at an all stock portfolio versus one that's got bonds, uh, it's a, uh, you're not going to, the, the bonds are going to hold the portfolio back. So if you have money in bonds, your performance probably going to be 30 or 40% less minimally than they would be in stocks. And that's kind of a, uh, kind of a big deal. Um, if you're going to compare your, your performance, you should probably look at other types of balanced funds. Uh, and uh, what's pretty wild is over the past few years, the, uh, the balanced funds that are market cap weighted because the market cap weighting has done so well have, have actually outperformed most balanced funds right now. So that won't always stay that way. Uh, I'm sure of that because business values at some point in time do, in fact, matter. It can be, there can be long time periods when it doesn't seem like it matters at all. Uh, it seems like just buying the thing that's most popular is the best thing to do. Well, and that'll work until it doesn't. And then you have situations like, you know, 2000 that come up where the uh, um, portfolio performance is really not good for an extremely long time period. In fact, uh, I'm going to pull that up right now. I've got this on uh, telechart. And this is really, let's see, I'm going to go to March of 2000. Oh, I just pulled up the SPY, so spiders. Its, it's peak was at 153, it looks like. And I should have probably done this during the commercial break so it wouldn't be so boring on the show. Anyway, 150, it's actually 155.75 was the high. And then it comes all the way down to, looks like the low was $77. Okay, so that's about half. Got cut in half. Then it goes back up. It gets just slightly above where it was. It goes to 157. This time, from 157, it comes down all the way to 67. So if you had, let's say you had 150,000, it goes down to 67,000. That's spooky. So that's what I'm talking about. When it goes up, it goes up really fast. And since then, by the way, if you go from the bottom, it's actually increased quite a bit since then so if you go from the bottom it's it's beaten just about everything <laughs> under the planet especially uh over the past five years in particular and that's because a lot of the uh the other funds are looking at things like valuation not just size if you're looking at just size that's that's why the market in fact in uh if you go back to 2000 the first time it yeah that spy hit 150 the stocks in there weren't worth what it was selling for. You could not make the argument that that was worth what it was selling for. Uh, and it dropped 50%. It climbed back up to just slightly above break even, then dropped 50% again. That's what I'm talking about. So you'd have a more than a 10-year time period with negative returns. But the people today don't really know that um, because most of the people that are investing today probably didn't have a whole lot of money back then. And uh, now they're looking at it and everybody's, you know, this is what we should do. And, yeah. You know what? And it is tough. Investing is not easy. Anybody that's ever said it's easy has no idea what they're talking about, or they don't want you to know what they're talking about. So it's one of the two because uh, it does a lot of things, you know, like, like I said, and even, uh, even John Bogle, you know, right before passed away this past year, uh, the past couple of years, he'd been talking about the dangers. He'd actually talked about how dangerous it was if you over 
invested in indexes. The guy who you know, created the industry was warning people, yeah, this is not, uh, you don't want to overdo it. I know what he meant. You don't want to overdo it. And the, the biggest thing is you don't want to, uh, um, you just don't want to take on too much risk. If you handle the risk, eventually, inevitably, you'll have returns that are pretty good. Most of the time, if you're handling the amount of risk that you're taking. But to know how much risk you're taking, you have to actually know how to look inside the funds. It's not that hard. Uh, in fact, we'll talk about this at every workshop. You can look inside the funds to see what they're doing, to see what kind of risk those funds are taking. I remember, I don't know if you remember the 60-second test. I published that a, a few years ago. We're going to bring that back out. The, uh, I've been working on it. Believe me, I, I wish I could get this stuff up tomorrow. It's just a uh, pain. I, there's so much legislation now. And we have to be so careful about what we say, how we say it, what we produce, how it's produced, what we publish, you know, whose permission do we need. It's really gotten a lot harder <laughs> than it was five or ten years ago. So we will get it. The, uh, in fact, I'm going to meet with uh, Mike Seeger, the uh, intern that goes to case. We're going to talk about this today, in fact. And we talk about it once or twice a week, minimally. And we'll talk about, you know, how do you, how do you figure out how much risk you're actually taking in the funds that you're in? Now, I remember the uh, Russell Midcap, when I first learned about that, the first two and a half years or so, actually it was probably more than that, the, uh, it underperformed by a mile. I mean, it, it wasn't small. It was a large dollar amount that it had underperformed by. Then the S&P crashed, and while it was crashing, that index came roaring back and pulled so far ahead of it. The S and P hasn't been able to catch up to it since then. So it's, it's just not easy. Investing is not an easy task. And if I were uh, not doing what I do for a living, I would be trying to find somebody who, who does. Um, it's not something I would, I would say you should probably, unless you've got a lot of time, you got a lot of time, effort and energy. That's great. You know, you should do that. But if you don't, then you should probably uh, try to find someone and, and just understand. And by the way, some of you, even your bigger funds now, this is another risk that I'm going to call out here. A lot of your larger fund families have had to modify their investment strategies because of the amount of money that's come into the stock market. It's not because, that they, wa- it's not because they want to do it or they thought it was a good idea. It's actually being forced on them. Yeah, they're getting, there's so much money that's been created and the, the number of places to invest the money, uh, has been shrinking. It's not, a, this is not an emergency situation. In fact, there are, there are lots of good valuations out there. There are lots of good indexes. Uh, there are lots of good funds that are being run a certain way, but it's not the good old days, not the 1980s where you had 15, 20% returns for five years in a row. It's not the uh, late nineties. Uh, and uh, it's not even the early 90s. Early 90s, I think it was 92, up through about 95, small mid-cap stocks were underpriced. They took off and ran. I mean, they just made an enormous amount of money. The firms that were invested in those sectors did extremely well. Most of them had to move up to the larger stocks because the smaller stocks weren't worth what they were paying for them anymore, so they moved out of those smaller stocks and into the larger stocks. A lot of the funds had to change their prospectuses uh, to allow them to do that. And 
it carried on for another four or five years the uh, into the large caps. The people that held on to the small mid caps started underperforming um, by a fairly significant amount, especially those vet that were value-oriented. The latter part of the 90s was not good on those funds. The first part of the 90s was excellent. latter part of the 90s was not good. So the uh, uh, anyway, long story short, right now what you're seeing or what we're seeing, what I'm seeing, is that the larger stocks are not underpriced. They've been the most popular. They've gone up the most. But the risk is significantly higher there. On the other hand, there are other funds out there where the risks are significantly lower. Um, and some of the bigger companies, by the way, that have better track records, they're, they're, they're better because uh, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, right up until a couple months ago, uh, were doing incredibly well. And they're still not doing horribly. I mean, to, to have a big correction, uh, you know, Facebook's down 31% over the last year. That's really not that much for a technology company. I was used to seeing a technology company go down 70 or 80%, you know, and to have a 30% drop is really not that big a deal. The, uh, especially a company that's as, as big as they are that does what they do. It's actually more important that, you know, Facebook does what Facebook does. It's a technology company completely. Uh, people forget that, you know, Facebook wasn't the first one in their space. Uh, MySpace was the one. Nobody remembers that. The, uh, so, and I always thought one of the reasons I, uh, uh, you know, Google has always been in one of the funds that I've held. So I didn't bother loading up on Google stock, but I've always liked Google. Uh, it's not all that overpriced, by the way. The, uh, it's, it's still a little bit high, uh, but it's only down 14%. And, you know, that's actually a really good example. The discounts in valuation, Google's down 14, Facebook is down 30. Why is Facebook down twice as much as Google is? And it, I can tell you, it's it's the business model. People have more confidence in Google. I understand why. Search engines, you know, people think, uh, you know, Google is a, is a real word. <laughs> it is a real word. They they But they changed the definition. You know, we Google it now. Before Google came around, you know, was AOL and Yahoo. Uh, but remember those companies? Uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm going to take a, uh, well, this, no, this is the end of the show. Sorry about that. You've been listening to Bill Bullington here. I'm, I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Have a good week, everybody. Good luck and good investing. just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, including the investments and or investment strategies recommended and or purchased by advisor or product made reference to directly or indirectly will be profitable. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will either be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. No client or prospective client should assume that any information presented serves as the receipt 
of or substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor or any other investment professional. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 